0: Hey, my name is Jason Byler. I'm the pastor of Life Change Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcasts. I believe that if you'll listen to them, uh, that you will be blessed. Mark 4 tells us that the Word of God uh, planted down inside of our hearts uh, can bring forth a rich, beautiful, abundant harvest in our lives. This is my desire Uh, for you. Uh, So as you listen to the Word, just receive it. Let it get down in your heart. Bring forth a harvest. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I'd like to uh, start a new series this morning. Um, I'm going to call it the Three Houses. Uh, So uh, to to get into this, um, let me just uh, maybe maybe it's uh important to um, just remind us of what isaiah fifty five uh, says, uh, which it says a lot, but we'll just highlight the the one part there where God reminds us that he has ways and thoughts and we have ways and thoughts, and that they differ right that there's that there's a big difference between god 's ways and thoughts and our ways and thoughts first uh, corinthians uh, uh, you know, you read one, two, and three there those those three chapters. Uh, Paul uh, also uh, communicates that there is a a vast difference between uh, what the world calls wisdom uh, and what God calls uh, wisdom, uh, and that that wisdom, according to the world, is really foolishness to god uh, and 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 according to the world, the wisdom of God uh, is foolishness. Uh, so, uh, I, I start out that way because we, as we get into these, uh, to this series, The Three Houses, I think we really encounter the, the differences between the ways and thoughts of God and, the, and our ways uh, and our uh, thoughts. And uh, let me, maybe, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but let me just say that uh, as we get into this, I'm not grasping and understanding all of it. But I'm gonna go ahead and lay it out there and share it uh, with you. And um, as I've been studying and meditating and, and praying, the conviction of the Holy Spirit has come to my own life. And I've got work to do. And that's not a bad thing, right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, right? God disciplines His children, He convicts us, directs us because He loves us. Uh, so, so um, to start, let's let me identify for you uh, two two really important areas where we need clarity. Uh, how many of you know that that the enemy, uh, our our enemy Satan, uh, is is an author of confusion? That he, that he comes with lies and deceptions, and he and he wants to confuse. And and he's so good at all of this that he can, actually, he can actually bring confusion disguised as clarity. So people are confused, but they think they're clear. But when we come into Christ, the fog begins to lift. And it's in Christ Jesus that clarity uh, comes. And there are two, uh, many areas, but there are two areas where the enemy really comes to try to bring uh, confusion into our lives but but in these two areas in Christ Jesus we find incredible understanding and great clarity. Let me identify them for you. One is, one is in the area of our identity. Uh, the enemy really wants to try to confuse us when it comes to our identity but it is in Christ that incredible clarity comes into our lives when it comes to that area of identity. Uh, not only... Not only is it identity, but a close second, or, or maybe just connected to it, uh, is our purpose. Uh, that that um, the enemy not only wants to bring confusion and clarity, but he wants to get us off purpose a little bit. Uh, uh, I think I said confusion and clarity. Confusion and identity, and he wants to get us off our purpose a little bit. So So there's identity and there's purpose, and he wants to confuse us on our identity and he wants to get us off purpose those two are very much connected if he can get us confused on identity he can oftentimes get us off purpose if he if he does succeed in bringing confusion to our identity and getting us off purpose then he's really got us he's really affected us and messed us up and remember we're connected so when we get messed up others get messed up as well so we've really got really to be careful in these areas of identity and purpose, and it's in Christ that there is great clarity in our identity and in our purpose. I know I quote uh, Ephesians 2.10 all the time, but let me pull it up here and let's read it, because it speaks to both uh, identity and purpose, and that they're found in Christ. <sighs> that coffee's good. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork or craftsmanship or workmanship. It's, it's, it's He who has made us. Created in Christ Jesus. That we are God's workmanship, craftsmanship, hand, handiwork but not outside of Christ. We're, we're not who God's created us to be if we're rejecting Jesus if we've turned away from him and and, and put him to our back and are headed in the other direction, if we refuse to believe and to receive him, we are not what God's called us to be or created us to be. But in Christ Jesus, hallelujah, try to calm myself down. Feel the presence of the Lord with us. Of course, I always do. I hope you do as well. If you don't, you need to maybe work on your feelers a little bit. Work on your feelers. I put Lydia to bed the other night, and, uh, and then I climbed in the bed. And um, I, I heard her get up and talking to Joy and stuff like that, and so I come out to check on what's going on. And I said, Lydia, what's going on? And she said, Daddy, I don't feel right. And uh, so I, I said, come here. And so she came, and she looked up at me with these beautiful little eyes, and I started feeling her. And I said, You feel good to me. Go to bed. And she said, Oh, daddy. <clears throat> anyway, didn't plan on sharing that this morning, but the Holy Spirit is just moving, right? God is at work in our midst. Yes, hallelujah. Uh, I think I learned that from my dad, actually. Um, for, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. We're created in Christ Jesus so that it's, it's only. In Christ Jesus, that we'll learn and discover who we are. Again, if, if we reject Jesus, we're going to be confused on our identity. We're created in Christ Jesus, and, and then we're created with purpose to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're created with in Christ, God has prepared and advanced. He has, he has planned and thought and put all of his creativity and wisdom. He's the master craftsman, and you're his masterpiece. And in Christ Jesus, you discover not only who you are, you discover the work that you're to do. And today I'm going to tell you what it is, and it probably maybe is going to be a little different than you think. And that's about as far as we're going to get. I'm going to tell you who you are and the work that you're to do and then we'll pray and go home and we can think on it all week. I've been thinking on it for weeks now. The enemy wants to, he wants to mess up Ephesians 2.10. He wants to get us confused on who we are and get us confused on the work that God has called us to do. This is an old school plan. It's an old school strategy. It's the one he waged against Jesus. You remember Matthew chapter four? Where Matthew chapter three, uh, Jesus comes to John the Baptist and is baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And God speaks, God the Father speaks. And he says, he says who Jesus is. He says, this is my son. In him I am well pleased. And and when God speaks of who you are, doesn't matter who you say you are or the devil says you are or who anybody else says you are, you are who God says you are. So in Christ you are prepared and and thought of and masterfully crafted with purpose. The devil comes in a In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, you remember, he's led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he's hungry, after fasting 40 days, then the tempter comes when he's in need. And what does the devil do? First thing he does is he comes and he says to Jesus, he says, if you are the Son of God. His first attack, first temptation, is to mess with Jesus' identity to bring confusion to his identity. He says, if you are the Son of God, Jesus, then take these stones all around you. You're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Turn them to bread. Come on, show me something, man. What do you got? All this, you come up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends. God speaks. Everybody's amazed. I'm I'm not, okay? There's stones around here. You're hungry. Turn them to bread. Let's see what you got. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, it is written... Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus speaks, it's written. He quotes the word of God against the enemy's deception to get him off, confused, when it comes to his identity. And then there is, at the end of the temptations, what does the enemy come against then? So in Matthew chapter 4, he comes and he comes against Jesus in the area of his works, of his purpose. He gathers he brings Jesus up to a high place and he says look look at all these look at all these towns look at all these cities look at all these kingdoms of the world. He says you don't Jesus you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer and die. You don't have to shed your blood. You don't have to man you know the whipping's coming, right? You don't have to go through that. The crown you don't have to do any of that, Jesus. You can have your purpose fulfilled without the sacrifice. Just just bow down and worship me. He tries to get Jesus off purpose. Confused on his identity, off on his purpose. What does Jesus say again? It is written. We worship the Lord God and we serve him only. Now go away from me. And the devil does what? He goes away from him. Because uh, when the mouth of God opens and tells the devil to do something, he does it. And we can do the same as Jesus did we can say, it is written, and proclaim the word of the Lord. Now, there's another time in Scripture, several, but we're just going to get to one, where Jesus speaks, and he does this again. He, he's going to declare something, and he says first, it's written, it is written, and then he declares from Scripture, from the Old Testament, from the word of the Lord, the word of God. So I, I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but before we do, uh, let's let's identify uh, these three houses uh, that we're talking about, and, and to do that, um, let's let's back up in scripture uh, for a little bit. Let's let's go into the Old Testament. Now, you remember that the Word of God uh, is divided into two sections. It's important to know this. There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. Now. The word testament, as, as you, know, you know, because we say it all the time, and I say this all the time because it's important to know this, the word testament, testament means covenant. So you have the old covenant, you've got the 39 books of the old covenant, and then there's a break, and you have the 27 books of the new covenant. Now, it's important to identify what makes the break, what makes the separation. What makes the break, the separation, is is the very same thing that has separated time, right? The separation in time is BC and AD. Or, you know, I I know they're trying to take Jesus out of everything, so now they've changed it from AD to the common error. I don't say that; that's junk. How does that's trash, right there? That's trash. It's it's BC and it's AD, and the and the thing that separates time, is B.C. means before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Jesus has separated time. The coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ dropped down into time and, and made a fracture and a separation so that a time stopped and a new time began. Can I say that again? A time stopped and a new time began. The same thing has happened In the word of the Lord, there is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The coming of Jesus is is what has made the separation, the distinction. At the coming of Jesus, the Old Covenant stops and the New Covenant begins. And we are New Covenant Christians, New Covenant believers. I'm not saying the Old Covenant is bad or we throw it away, we do not. We need the old covenant because we need to learn. All Scripture is helpful. We need the old covenant. I'm not throwing out the old covenant, but the old covenant has come to an end. The new covenant has begun. There is a shift, a change, a transformation. This this had to be. Because the reason this had to be is because the old covenant did not accomplish the will of God. And so there had to be a new. Did I shout? My voice is a little, so it sounds like I'm I'm not angry. I'm I'm just passionate about it, I guess. Praise the Lord. Let me say it again. Calm me down. The old covenant didn't accomplish God's will. So there had to be a new it's not, it's not as impacting though, is it, really? <laughs> the old covenant didn't work. It was for a time. It was temporary. It had to come to an end because it fell short of what God wanted. One of the things is this. God wants us. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to be able to come to him under the old covenant. We couldn't come. There was a holy of holies. We were separated from the presence of God. The only one who could come was the high priest, and that was only once a year, and he had to get everything right to do it under the old covenant. But that was not God's plan. It wasn't God's will. He wanted, to, he wanted us to come back to, to Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and every day strolling with him through the garden in the cool of the day. He didn't want us to be separated from Him. He wanted us to be able to come near. And so comes Jesus. Hallelujah. And sheds His blood and dies on the cross. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Only He's worthy to open the scroll. He's alone worthy to go to the cross. But He is worthy to go to the cross. And He goes to the cross and sheds his blood, and now I, who was once separated from Christ, yeah, can now draw near to him. Hallelujah. Why am I excited? Because there's only life if it's lived with him. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So the old covenant... God comes and he, Genesis chapter 12, he selects a man, Abraham. He blesses that man. And he says, from that man's going to come a people, the Israelite people. And then Israel, you remember, they're, they're, they're in Egypt where they eventually become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then they cry out to God and God comes and delivers Egypt, Israel out of Egypt. You know, the 10 plagues and and. and the parting of the Red Sea. And, you know, if you don't know it, you could read it. Uh, or you could go watch, you know, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. That one's pretty good. You'd probably just read it. Or you could do both if you want. God brings them out into the wilderness. And, and then when they're in the wilderness, God does something strange. Right? He's, he's moving them through the wilderness, right? They're, they're having to move millions of people through the wilderness. God does something really strange. As they're there in the wilderness, God instructs them to build him a house. A house that is a tent. It's got very specific orders, very specific measurements, very specific pieces of furniture that are going to be made in very specific ways. We know that this had to be done because we know Hebrews, right? That it had to be a shadow of the one that's in heaven. So things had to be laid out and made the way that they needed to be made. And they had to be made in a tent so that it could be mobile. And God anointed, God gave them everything they needed. And then he anointed craftsmen to come and build that tabernacle, that temple, if you will, that house for him, that tent where he could dwell amongst his people, because God doesn't want to be separated from us, he wants to be with us. (laughs) Can you imagine Moses and the Israelite people? Right? I, I just I just thinking of this funny here lately. You know, I can think of Moses. Because he didn't complain all that much, but he's having to pack up his own house. And then we gotta go pack up the tabernacle too. Not only do I gotta move my tent and you gotta move yours, but now we gotta move God's tent. God can't move his own tent. I bet it was like when they finally got, you know, unpacked somewhere and they are settled in, they're like, Whew, good. I hope the cloud stays right there. Can you not move for a little while, God? Could you imagine if he does it the next day? Like they get everything unpacked and then God moves, right? And they're like, oh my gosh. I got to now unpack my tent and your tent, God? It's, it's a very strange thing, right? They, they've already got a lot they're having to do. And now they've got to build this tabernacle and move it every time God moves it. I wonder if God like up in heaven would be like, watch, watch this, guys. Gabriel, Michael, come here. I'm going to move it. Like, it's not even the next day. They just got to set up and we're going to move. <laughs> it's going to be great, you know. <laughs> and they got to move this thing all around. You know, when David becomes king, he's like, man, I'm so sick of this. Let's build him a house. Like, we'll put a foundation. We'll put it in the ground. And then when he moves, we'll be like, God, your house, man. It's not a tent anymore. You can't move it. But David, David, when he's king, is stirred to build God a temple, to build God a house where he can be with his people, where he can dwell. But God won't let David do it. He only lets David prepare for it. And then he allows Solomon to build him a house. And there is a temple for God's people, for him and for them to come and commune together in his house. Now, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that... uh, That when Nebuchadnezzar comes to attack, that what he attacks is not only the temple, but also the the wall. Not only the wall, the wall kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But also the temple. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes and he and he attacks and he destroys the wall and he destroys the temple. Breaks down that house of God. And then there's the amazing story of how the Lord stirs uh, Ezra and Zerubbabel and Haggai and Nehemiah to come and not only rebuild the temple, but to rebuild the wall. And not only the wall, but to rebuild the temple. And, And Daniel's connected to this as well. Because we just believe, right, when Daniel was opening his window three times a day, he was pointing out towards Jerusalem and crying out to God for the rebuilding of his city, the rebuilding of the wall, the rebuilding of the temple. And that thing is rebuilt, and there is a temple there. And then we see Jesus come on the scene. And when Jesus comes on uh, the scene, uh, there's there's two accounts where he moves in uh, to uh, the temple, Uh, I believe these are two separate accounts. Some would disagree. But John speaks of of Jesus coming in and clearing the temple with a whip. He makes it into a whip. You remember that? And he clears out the temple. And in that that account uh, of clearing out the temple, uh, Jesus speaks and he says, this is my father's house. You made it into something that it's not. And and the disciples recognize in, it's John chapter 2, the disciples recognize that there is a zeal and a passion that it would be said of the Messiah, the Christ, that there's a zeal and a passion that consumes him for the house of God. Now, the, uh, the second account um, we will go to in just a second. But now that uh, Jesus has come and, and he has suffered and died, Remember, there's a, a shifting that has taken place. Not only has time shifted, covenant has shifted. The old covenant was a covenant where God's house was a house. It was a tent for a while, and then it became a building of wood, stone, and and, and gold, and, and and constructed by man under the old covenant. But with the coming of the new covenant, Something has changed when it comes to the house of God. It's not a building or a tent anymore. The house of God is a person. You and I are houses of God. When we, when we come and put our faith and trust uh, in Christ, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. What we then become in Christ is his house, God's house. You see, before we, before we came to Christ, you could basically say that you were your house, that this, wasn't, that this wasn't God's house, that this was Jason's house. And Jason rules and reigns in his house, this is my house. But when I come to Christ Jesus, a new thing takes place. I am a new creation. There's a death and a resurrection. And now this house is no longer my house. This house is God's house. You say, Pastor, we know that. Man, that's, you know, that's 101, right? I know. But think about it. It's not my house. This I'm not talking about the tabernacle, the temple. Those are not anymore God's house. It's now me, Jason, you, the individual person. You now are the house of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. 16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? In Christ Jesus, we are now the temple of God and God's Spirit lives within us. First uh, Corinthians 6 also says the same thing. 6, uh, 18. 1 Corinthians 6, we'll start at verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality... All other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. It's not a this is a temple of the Lord. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God? God God didn't necessarily want a tent. That's why the covenant had to shift. He didn't want a building. That's why the covenant had to shift. He wanted a man and a woman who would come to him and trust him and give him their lives and them become his house. Them become a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. Now this is the, the, uh, you know, we're all kind of okay with that in theory. But then, you know, 1 Corinthians, Paul really brings it to to light and says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You're not your own in Christ Jesus. His blood has purchased you, changed you, transformed you. In him, we are a new creation, right? 2 Corinthians 5, the old is gone Behold, all things are made new. Now, in Christ Jesus, this person, individual person, is a house of God bought with a price, no longer your own. Right? I'm no longer, this is no longer my house, it's his house. That's a powerful and important revelation for you to understand. This is no longer my house. This is his house. This is the, the house of God. That's, that's one uh, house that I want you to, to be familiar with is, is the individual you, that you are a house of God, uh, that you are no longer your own, that you've been bought with a price and uh, hopefully you've gotten down off of the throne and are allowing Jesus to rule and reign in his house. Right, it's his house, so he should be in charge. It's his house, so he should be calling the shots. It's his house, so he should be leading and guiding and directing. This now is God's house. Now, other house, I want you to, I want you to be uh, aware of. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call you, individual you. I'll call that the first house. I'm going to skip the second house and we'll jump to the third, okay? This third house, because I think you're probably aware of this one and and believe this, this third uh, house, house of God, is the church. We, the people of God, the gathered together people of God, we, the church, are the house of God. If we were to go back to... Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, you can see there uh, that there's a plural language there uh, that uh, that if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy Uh, that person for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple, that we together as the people of God, we are God's house, right? That's why, you know, when I was a kid, I would run in church, and I'd get fussed at by some of the saints that you don't run in the house of God. Right, when really the building's not a house of God, but I, but, but I understand what they mean. The place where we gather, the gathering together of the saints, the gathering together of the people of God, we together are the house of God. As First Peter, you know, that, that, that we, uh, like the living stone, are living stones as well, coming together to, to form the house of God, a holy temple. There's not a tent anymore. That's Old Covenant. There's not a temple anymore. That's Old Covenant. There is, but New Covenant, it's me. It's individually me, and it's us together. The third house, the church. We gathered together. Now, uh, the uh, the second house kind of helps us to understand, I think, uh, both of those. there. The, the, the second house that I want you to be aware of that is also God's house uh, is the is the Christian family. It is the, the husband and wife, uh, the husband, the, the man, the wife, the woman, coming together in covenant marriage, forming a family, is the house of God. Right When, when individual Jason put his faith and trust in Jesus, I became a house of God and then there was single individual Joy who put her faith and trust in Jesus, and she became a house of God. Well, we entered into, on March the 2nd, 2002, almost 20 years ago, we entered into covenant marriage with one another, and God spoke then and said, now joy, single joy is no more, Single Jason is no more. The two of them have come together and they are now one. So we now together are the house of God. And when, you know, you bring two houses of God together, what do you have? One house of God. That's what covenant does. Covenant puts an end to separation and brings oneness. It puts an end to division and brings oneness. That's the new covenant. Jesus put an end to the dividing wall of hostility. That's Ephesians 2, right? So that we could become one with him. We are not, that's why we can, that's why in Hebrews 10 it says, now because of the blood of Jesus, you can draw near to God. So do it, draw near to God. We become one. That's what covenant does, it brings oneness. So now my my family unit is a house of God when when we had kids they come under that covenant and are a part of that house and that house the family is a house of god so you've got you've got the individual person house of god number 2 the family house of god number 3 the church house of God. If some of you are having trouble with the family, then, uh, th- then, then remember uh, Matthew 18, right? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. And it's, and it's that same covenant understanding that makes us understand why the church together is a house of God. Because we have all entered into covenant with Christ, and that knits us together as one, so that we are the house of of God, right? He's the He's the vine, and we're the branches. Right? And, and and Jesus is the vine, and Sandy is grafted a branch into that vine. And she's one with that vine. And I am a grafted branch into that vine, and I'm one with that vine. So we're connected to the same vine, so that connects us in oneness as well. Or you can use the body analogy. Right? The hand, different from the arm, but they're connected together, the same body. There's oneness there. So we are the house of God. The family, the house of God. Individual you, the house of God. Difficult to understand? It's one of those things that, that uh, you know, God's ways, God's thoughts, right? We recognize uh, the tabernacle, that's kind of easy. The temple, that's kind of easy. But now we have become the house of God. God, so, so there should be not confusion when it comes to your identity. There should be clarity. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you have come to Christ, you are God's house. His Spirit dwells and lives within you. Now, I said that there's a, another place in Scripture where Jesus speaks and He says, it is written... And, and when he says it is written, he speaks about the house of God. It's found in Matthew uh, 21. Matthew 21. Verse, start at verse 12. Uh, this is you know, right after Jesus' uh, Palm Sunday triumphal entry. says that Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. Uh, he overturned the tables uh, of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So here he's, here he's coming into the uh, temple again and, and clearing it out. And after he clears it out, uh, then in verse 13, uh, Jesus makes this statement. He says, It is written, he said to them, My house, now he's calling this, his house, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. He says, this is, this is, this is what my house is to be. This, by the way, is written down. If, if you guys didn't know it, you know, speaking to the people of the Pharisees who know the law, who know the word of God, he says, my house is to be called a house of prayer. This is what it's to be known for. This is what's to, to go on in this house. This, this, if you will, if you can accept it, this is the, the main work of this house. This is what's messing with my, I'm just meditating on this and thinking about it. As the Lord is, is speaking and saying, Jason, this house, it's not mine. It's his, it's his house created in Christ Jesus to work and the main work that I'm to do is to pray. You individual, you, you are, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. It's not, it's not Elizabeth's house anymore. It's the Lord's house. And his house shall be called a house of prayer. So the, so the work, you see, there's clarity in Christ, right? I'm I'm clear on who I am. I'm the house of God. What is my purpose? Well, if God's house is to be a house of prayer, then, then a big part of my purpose, a big part of my work is to pray. I'm I'm to I'm to be God's house. A place of prayer. From, from this house, there should come prayer. He says, but, but man, you're making it into a den of robbers. This is A den of robbers is not like robbers are coming and stealing. It's like robbers are dwelling there. Robbers are living there. They're taking up residency there. Right? But when Jesus comes, Jesus, what does he do when he comes to his house? When Jesus comes to his house, he cleans it out. He clears that thing out and declares what it should be. It's not a not a den of robbers. It's not a place for anything else to dwell. This is the house of God. It is a place of communion with Him. A place where we pray, where we draw near to Him. This house, Jason's house, no longer my house. Like I said, I don't... I'm convicted. I'm not sure that this is the house of prayer that it needs to be, but I think a step in the right direction is recognizing this is not my house. This is God's house, and the work of this house is to be a place of prayer. I wrote down the shift that needs to take place so I could, so I could just read it to you without messing it up because you know sometimes I stumble and stutter on my words. One of the shifts that needs to take place is this, that this is God's house of prayer. This is not my house praying. There's a lot of Christians that this is their house and they're praying. The shift that needs to take place is recognizing this is God's house and it's a house of prayer. It's not my house That is praying. I'm not not sure I'm there. I want the shift to take place. Where this is not me. It's him. And it's his. And in this place, there's prayer. In this place, there's communion. This place is a place of his presence. Is a place of communion. Is a place of prayer. Jesus comes and declares, and, and, he, and he would know, right, because it's his house. This is my house, and my house is a house of prayer. Now, now let that flow to the family. Now, what does the family become? Right, when, now, now my kids can rebuke me when I say, this is my house. <laughs> and as long as you're in my house, they can say, well, Dad, really, this is God's house, you know, and so... I would probably have said that when I was a kid. I'd be like, Dad, I heard your sermon Sunday. It's God's house. Maybe you should go pray. <laughs> any, any of my kids say that to me, they better run. No, I'm, Yeah, Lydia will say it. <laughs> Lydia's walking around the house quacking like a duck the other day. Quack, 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 quack. Enjoy Joy kind of had enough of it and said, "Hey, Lid, would you stop? Stop doing that." And whack, so whack, 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 And he said, "Lydia, can can hey, you know, it's too much. Can you stop that? You know." And so whack, 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 okay. whack. Lydia, if you do that one more time, and Lydia says, "What if I do it too?" <laughs> what can you do but laugh? <laughs> The family, think about this. Now that I've got you all off, try to get you back on. (laughs) That's not good communication. The uh, the family, God's house. The Christian family, the five of us together, Joy and I and Elizabeth, Jude and Lydia, the family together together. We're, we're, we're more than two or three gathered together in his name, the family together. God's house. What is God's house? It's a house of prayer. I'm not, I'm dropping the ball. I'm right there with you. But that's what it is. I'm just saying, Lord, Lord, help me. Help me to, What can I do? What what do I need to do to to make it what it is? To what it's supposed to be. And then there's you, you know, you want to change your life. Just be who God's called you to be. A house of prayer. You want to change your family. Let's let's let it be what it what it is to be, a house of prayer. And then there's the church. We're God's house, right? What are we to be? Are are we that? I don't know. Is the church anywhere that? I'm not sure. But what? We're God's church. We're his house. Can't he say of his house what it is? And he said this is the main work is, is the main work of the house to pray? Is that what we're to do first and foremost? Pray. We're God's house. We're to be a house of prayer. Now I'm I'm running out of time because I'm just long-winded, so let me just let me just wrap this up with some application. It, just, just go and read. Go and read Haggai chapter 1. Just read it. Okay, Haggai chapter 1 is, is, you remember I talked about Nebuchadnezzar coming and destroying the temple? They began to work on the temple and, and rebuild it and then they stopped. And And Haggai is one of the prophets that the Lord used to, to stir them up for that work to continue. And in there, he says, through Haggai, he says, you're all working on your house. But my house just lays there and nobody's working on it. And he says, now, now come on. He says, things aren't working out for you. He said, Everything, It's like you're taking three steps forward and four steps back. I'm paraphrasing. This is not working. He says, so, so go work on my house. And now, interesting thing now is in the new covenant, My house is his house. His house is my house. So when I'm working on his house, I'm working on my house. And the work I need to do is to work on it becoming a house of prayer. Now, that's all I'm going to leave you with this morning. We say, well, pastor, what do we do? Uh, Work on it. Work on this house becoming a house of prayer. Work on this house becoming a house of prayer. Work on this house becoming a house of prayer. I've got a a hunch that if this house is a house of prayer and this house is a house of prayer, that this house will become a house of prayer. I was thinking about, I was thinking about a, what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to leave you with this. Because I was like, Lord, I don't, know, I don't know how to leave this, so I'll just leave you like this. Probably not at all helpful, but I had that thought when I read this in Matthew 9. You remember Jesus calls Matthew out of the tax collector booth. Matthew comes up out of the tax collector booth, and then, and then they go and they celebrate in Matthew's house, and the Pharisees are are... Uh, are and, and and others are upset with Jesus because he's eating in a tax collector's house, fellowshipping with a tax collector, and Jesus speaks and he says, he says, I'm not come for the for the, the it's not the healthy that need a doctor but the sick, and he says to them, he says, now now go and and think about this. Now go and understand what this means. He says, go and go and think about this and try to figure out what this means. Matthew chapter 9. So, here's my ending for you. You're the house of God. This is a house of God. This is a house of God. This house is a house of prayer. Now go think about this and try to figure out what this means. That's what I'm doing. I'm meditating on this and asking the Lord, what does this mean? What does this look like? Who am I? to be, how do I live this out? Go and think on this. Think about what this means. I do know this though. It's always good to pray and ask God for help. So let's do that now. Uh, Lord, we come to you uh, hopefully with some clarity this morning that we are the house of God. And in, in, in my heart and in my mind and my thinking, that changes everything. It's a house for your glory and a house for your honor. It's a house set apart for your purposes, called to do your work. And we see very clearly that we, we know there are other facets and parts of this house, but, but very clearly, one of the main things, one of the main works of this house is prayer. Lord, I don't know exactly what that looks like or means. That I pray, Holy Spirit, my counselor, my teacher, that you would come and lead me and guide me in this and instruct me and teach me. Lord, bring your anointing upon me and your wisdom to, and stir my heart to labor and build and work on your house to make it into a house of prayer. I pray that this this house that is now your house would be a house of prayer. I thank you for the family that you've blessed me with, my beautiful wife and my children. Let let my house, my family, that is your family, your house, let it be a house of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this church. And for all churches that are your church. I pray, Lord, that you would move and work and build. And that your house, your church, would be a house of prayer. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Would you allow me one more moment? I'd just like to ask you can bow your heads and close your eyes. I'd like to ask all of you gathered here and all of you who may be watching online or listening on the podcast. Let me ask you the question when it comes to you, whose house is it? Is it your house? Is all of your hope and trust in you? Or have you run to Jesus and put your hope and trust in Him? Given Him your life and made this His house? And this morning, if if this is your house and you want the shift, you want the change, and you want it to become God's house, I just ask you to raise your hand. Yes, amen. Yeah, I see your hands. I see your hands. If you're watching online, just raise your hand. If you're listening, just raise your hand. And just pray with me. Just repeat after me. Pray this prayer from your heart. Uh, Lord Jesus, I believe that You are God Almighty. That You are Savior and Lord. And I open the door to my heart. And I give you my life. I give you my house. And I ask you to come in to forgive me, save me, cleanse me, run out all the robbers, set up residency here. Make me your house, a house of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. God bless you. Uh, now, now go and think about what this means. God bless.